February. <laughs> it's 2019, and everything is going great so far. I love it. I feel uh, good when I wake up in the morning. I want to do a day. I want to do a day. <laughs> I'm ready. I feel like the, I'm optimistic about the world. It's sunny. It's warm. It's sunny. It's warm. We're not in a polar vortex, and also we don't live in a uh, post or late capitalist dystopia. <laughs> Yeah, so hi, I'm Kate. <laughs> hi, I'm Tara, and we're here to learn about politics. And get a little bit drunk. And we're here uh, tonight, joined mm-hmm. by uh, Haviva Manson Singer. Oh, wait, do we? Is that, do, oh my god, what last name do you use? Yeah, I use Manson Singer. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. We're joined tonight by Haviva Manson Singer, <laughs> uh, a public policy grad student at yeah. U of T, mm-hmm. um, and also a very good friend of ours. Um, she's been kind enough to grace us with her beautiful oh curly haired presence mm-hmm. um, uh, and to help us uh, navigate the uh, our episode on healthcare, um, mm-hmm. which we'll be diving into shortly. Yeah, and maybe if the, the only thing I would add is that, so I, I'm a grad student at, at the Master of Public Policy program at U of T, but I specialize in public health policy, so I feel like oh yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. important distinction. That's like the part I can offer. Here. Yeah. <laughs> and also your lovely, uh, funny voice. Thank and, uh, you know, any witty comments uh, along the way. Um, oh, that's a big setup. <laughs> <laughs> me, 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 me. Um, so uh, before we get into that, though, uh, we're going to dive right into uh, uh, some... We're going to talk about our patrons. We're going to talk about our patrons. Um, hey, everyone. Uh um, did you know that you can help us financially to make the podcast a thing? Uh, if Habiba does it, it's lit. Yeah, listen, yeah. I'm a patron and I love it. Yeah, yeah. I get huge benefits really yeah. listening to these women every week. And, huge. And like maybe if they like you enough, they'll invite you on the pod like mm. me right now. Oh my god, 10 out of 10. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a we real just, big payoff. Huge, yeah, 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 finally. <laughs> um, so we just wanted to give a uh, shout out to our patrons this month. Uh, Brett, Haviva, uh, David, Aaron, Meredith, Nancy, Phil, Shannon, Susan, and Taylor. Thank you, everyone, so much uh, for uh, uh, donating your hard-earned cash uh, so that we can continue to uh, put this on every week. It means the world to us. If you happen to um, have a a craving to throw money at us, um, (laughs) you can do that at www.patreon.com slash undecidedpod. That's www.patreon.com slash undecidedpod. Um, and without further ado, I think we'll dive right into the news. All right, so our first piece of news is uh, sexy, <laughs> sexy uh, Canadian um, go- legal governance problems. Um, so um, the federal government is in some hot water this week uh, over some charges pressed by former Justice Minister and Attorney General of Canada Jody Rayson, Jody Wilson Raybould. <laughs> Jody the Rayson. <laughs> <laughs> Jody Wilson Raybould um, against uh, SNC Lavalin, which is a Canadian company which operates out of Quebec. Um, so far, uh, so good. 
Yes. Okay. Wilson Raybould charged SNC Lavalin with fraud and corruption in connection with payments of nearly $48 million to public officials in Libya under Muammar Gaddafi's government and allegations it defrauded uh, Libyan organizations of an estimated $130 million. Um, I'm not going to get into uh, Libyan politics or Muammar Gaddafi. That's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> but if you want to learn why that might be problematic, you can go Google it to the internet. Um, uh, So the company, SNC-Lavalin, is contesting the case. Um, It's pleaded not guilty. Um, um, But if they were convicted, the company would be blocked from competing for federal government contracts for a decade, which would result in the loss of thousands of Canadian jobs, um, about 9,000. So... So far, so fine. Like no, no sniffing around of like c- Canadian government fraud or mm-hmm. like corruption yeah, yeah. yet. So that's right. But so the reason this is controversial is because Wilson Raybould was shuffled to the position of Veterans Affairs Minister right after she made this decision, which is uh, now sort of uh, sort of up in the air um, with the, uh, the with the person that's basically replaced her. Um, so the government has denied any pressuring of Raybould Wilson. Um, but a recent Wilson Raybould. Wilson oh no wait. Did I Yeah, yeah, I did. I said it's just this one. So the the government wait, are you anonymous? (laughs) You're anonymous badger. (laughs) You're anonymous badger in this Google Doc right now. Viva. Sorry. Um It's really funny that you wrote Wilson Raybould all other times except for the last one. No, it's because I copied and pasted all the other times and this time it was my own writing. <laughs> um, so, uh, Raybold Wilson. No, uh, Wilson, Wilson Oh, you changed it. No! <laughs> no, you no, I the bottom one, honey. No, that's the right one. So far, everything's fine. But a Globe and Mail article reported that Jody Wilson-Raybould was pressured by the PMO to not move forward with the case and to go through with remediation for the company, which basically just means that the company would pay a large fine and then they would be able to uh, continue business as usual um, instead of going through trial. Um, Wilson-Raybould allegedly resisted this pressure, uh, and the fact that the PMO may have pressured uh, the attorney general is controversial. But there's additional speculation that she was shuffled to the position of Veterans Affairs Minister as a result of making this decision, which is now sort of up in the air because she's not the Attorney General anymore. So this new person, like, their decision will, I guess, actually, their decision will probably tell us a lot. Or could tell us a lot. I don't know. But now that this has been, like, reported, who knows if that will affect the decision-making moving forward. Yeah. It's hard to know. Anyway, the PMO has denied this, um, I mean, like... (laughs) Probably wisely. I don't know. I, like it's really hard to know. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, if they did pressure her, it's pretty fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. And if they didn't, then this is a story for nothing. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, like the SNC Lavalin stuff, I guess, is like still pretty fucked because it's like it. You know, it gets government contracts. Yeah. So. Anyway, it's maybe it's a little too like uh, yeah. kind of like I don't know inside baseball or whatever. But it but I guess the I guess like the idea of us like talking about it is that Shear is like making this huge deal about it. it he's trying to make it like a Shear is try, making a huge deal about this and yeah. trying to like use it as fuel as political fuel to be like ah no the, mm. the, the liberals bad. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's that's what you need to know about that. 
Yeah. We'll provide an update on it when we know That's all, exactly, like, that's all you can really know right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the next bit of news is, uh, that, uh, Doug Ford, um, you know, in line with, uh, the rest of his, um, policy decision so far has announced uh, his plan to clear the province's weight uh, list for children diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders to receive treatment within 18 months on Wednesday. So there's about 23,000 children diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders um, that are waiting for the government-funded treatment, and only 8,400 are currently in the program receiving therapy. Um so, like, sounds good because, like, more children are technically getting um, aid uh, mm -hmm. for autism uh, disorder treatment, but they use the same amount of funding and then just spread it over more children. Mm -hmm. um, significantly, a, um, a, a man who worked for a conservative, a, a progressive conservative MP quit this week um, citing this policy decision um, because he thought it was basically abhorrent and uh, <laughs> not helpful. Mm -hmm. um, his criticism with this is that the funding is based on age um, and so the children entering the program uh, at age two would, would be eligible to receive up to $140,000 while the children entering the program at age seven would be uh, eligible to receive up to $50,000. So like as you age out, you get less help, but, like, just because you get older doesn't mean, like, as a child doesn't mean you get less, like, doesn't mean you need less help, so, right. um, and also, yeah, anyway, so, garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> garbage. I think the fact that a PC staffer quit over this is, like, significant. Yeah. Basically. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, what's next? Internationally, um... AOC in the United States has... Wait, wait. Who's that? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's like the um, darling child of American left-wing politics right now. Um, we love, we love Ocasio-Cortez, <laughs> folks, don't we? We love her. <laughs> um, she and this other guy whose name I forget, but he's like old and a senator, uh, whatever. Schumer? No. Oh, no. Um, whatever. Whatever. Some other guy. Have, they've built this bill and it's been signed on to by like 60 Democrats including five of the leading or quote unquote leading presidential candidates like Gillibrand There's and like Cory Booker them. and like <laughs> Bernie but uh, yeah anyway whatever. Um, basically it's an updated version of FDR's New Deal which came about in the, in the 30s in response to the Great Depression but it is a radical rearrangement of the US economy to deal with climate change. <laughs> so basically they're embedding climate policy within an economic policy and this would basically guarantee a job for every American. So this is the first approach that understands and responds to the radical implications of climate change for our generation. Um, but this bill isn't actually likely to go anywhere. It's a really great step forward that so people are actually even talking about this. But mm -hmm. the reality is that the current leader of the House, Nancy Pelosi, um, is not in favor of a Green New Deal, likely because... Um, it's counter to her own material interests and donor support. And the U.S. Senate wah, is still wah. controlled by Republicans. Yeah. So although it sounds great, and it is great, uh, we're not going to see a Green New Deal go through anytime soon. 
Uh, but as Kate says, super important for moving the discourse forward. Mm-hmm. And the fact, like, we couldn't have even imagined something like this coming into yeah. like the public right. discourse a year ago. So, sure. like, super uh, encouraging to see that. Yeah. Although, like, you just need to put a hot woman's face on anything and it'll go. Hell, <laughs> yeah, dude. You can say that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I guess our last piece of news will lead us into um, our topic for this episode, uh, which is the. I guess the the news item is that uh, the NDP have put out, um, uh, publicized a series of documents that um, looks like legislation, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically planning to privatize, um, like, large sectors of our uh, healthcare system. Mm Mm-hmm. So the NDP released these, it's like 81 fucking pages of, like, (laughs) appendixes and appendices, sorry, and, like, stupid shit. Um, (laughs) My boyfriend just yawned in the next room. (laughs) It's already... Actually, that was, like, incredibly appropriate timing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it's this very boring 81-page long document, um, and the NDP has sent out a very... uh, potent series of emails where they potent. were they kind of lost their shit like this is privatization this is happening we're all going to lose our health care blah 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 it's unclear what this actually will mean because it is a draft it's not in law and it hasn't been passed at all um, the only thing that it does tell us firmly is that um, Doug Ford once again is keeping his promise he's finding efficiencies in health care and whether that means privatization entirely or not is still yet to be figured out um, one thing we do know, though, is that will it seems to indicate a change towards Linz, and Viva's going to tell us about Linz. Yeah, so like the Linz are local health uh, integration networks, and um, they're crown agencies, so that means that they're operated somewhat at arm's length from the government. Um, and basically, they were established in regions across Ontario, and they're sort of responsible for providing access to home and community care services. And Linz were sort of an attempt to have like a more patient-centered approach to healthcare and long-term care. Um, and so, I think generally speaking, they've been seen like pretty positively by mm-hmm. the province. Um, and so, what this new bill proposes is to either like eliminate LINs or strip them of their resources and, like, capacity so much so that they pretty much become obsolete. Or, like, shells. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 to create a super agency. So instead of having these sort of, like, regional health, local health integration networks, you have this massive super agency. I feel like the implications of this are still sort of unclear. Like, in even in this 81-page document, there were, like, notes written all over it. So, <laughs> like... This is a really, like, in-the-process type Mm -hmm. document that we have access to. It's hard to know. Um, There's been a lot of criticism, though, that with this proposed piece of legislation that there would be sort of, like, a two-tiered, partially privatized system. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's 81 pieces of uh, 81 pages of really boring legislation. We don't love you enough to read 81 pages. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So in response to this and kind of a public outcry as led by the NDP publicization of these documents, um, our favorite oily politician Justin Trudeau has said that oily boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says that he will make sure that Ontario adheres to the Canada Health Act. Um, What's the Canada Health Act, Kate? Let me tell you. Um, The Canada Health Act, or CHA, CHA, for short. CHA! 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 
Um, basically, it establishes criteria and conditions related to insured health services and extended health care services that every province and territory has to fulfill in order, order to receive money from the federal government. So basically, it just, like, makes sure that everybody is getting a certain quality of free health care. Yeah. Right? It has these five main pillars, which are public administration. So all administration of provincial health insurance must be carried out by a public authority on a nonprofit basis, which is huge. Has to be comprehensive. Put an asterisk here, though, because this is very uh, relative. Um, It has to be universal. It has to be portable in that if a resident moves from one province to another province, they're still uh, eligible for the coverage of their home province. And it has to be accessible. So all insured persons must have a reasonable access to healthcare facilities, whatever oh, that, the fuck There's that. a huge, <laughs> yeah. huge asterisk yeah. there as yeah, well yeah. because accessibility is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. So this all sounds really good, but the reality is that a huge challenge for Canadian healthcare is that this actually leaves a lot of leeway for provinces to decide what they consider to be comprehensive or, like Haviva said, accessible. So many important services, including dental care, out-of-hospital, pharma, long-term care, physiotherapy, home care, and a lot of other maybe not emergency situations actually don't get covered um, or may not get covered by the provincial government, which means people have to pay out-of-pocket if they don't have employment insurance, which is a problem. Huge problem since Huge problem. things like, uh, like pharmaceuticals and dental care. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y- y- any of y'all out there uh, <laughs> wear glasses, <laughs> but those things are fucking expensive. And mm-hmm. and like not having a pair of glasses when you need a pair of glasses, or like having a toothache, having to pull out your own tooth, or like whatever ne- needing dental care, like having gingivitis or whatever. Or I had to have a gum graft. It was it was actually Ew. that sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah, but like th- these things like. Um, they're not like Kate said like they may not be emergency situations in the moment but they can really like they can really hinder someone mm-hmm. like not having like the kind of drugs you need to like get by in your day be it antidepressants well, or pain medication yeah, or like, whatever this, I went to like the healthcare services at U of T last week because um, I had a really sore throat and the doctor there gave me a prescription for this like throat numbing thing but it's not covered by OHEP and it's not covered by um, my U of T healthcare so it was like $60 for a mouthwash and Holy I was like well shit. I'm not, no, I'm not fucking right. buying this yeah. liquid it's well there's such a huge a waste of money. like there's a large percentage of Canadians like it's I don't want to misquote. It's okay. But a, a large, large percentage. Like a, a significant percentage of Canadians. Mm. We're not a details podcast. <laughs> don't fill their prescriptions yeah. because they can't afford to. Mm. Yeah. And especially, like, if you're on medication for, like, things where you have to consistently take it every day or mm. at a certain time every day, that can pose real problems. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there's also... Sorry. No, go ahead. Um... The issue of chronic illness is increasingly important in Canada as our population ages and as health needs shift. So our universal quote-unquote healthcare system was established in the 60s and 70s and built around concerns about health that were present then. So there's a real focus in our healthcare system on hospitals, emergency care, and stuff like that. But the reality is that today, the healthcare landscape is like Aviva said, increasingly one of chronic disease. So diabetes, dementia, heart failure, chronic lung disease, and other chronic conditions are the most important things that the majority of the population, which is uh, getting up there, yeah. uh, needs. Our median age is, like, super old. We're fucking like, old. Yeah, yeah, we're fucking old in this country. Yeah, was, yeah. I think it's, like, that way a lot around the world in, like, in a lot of 
a Western countries, but like yeah. it's that's just the that's the yeah case. changing yeah. demography. Yeah, We're getting old. Yeah. yeah. So we need to reshape the healthcare the healthcare system that ref- to reflect the actual needs of the population today, not how it may have existed in the sixties and seventies when all these baby boomers were still young and hot. Mm-hmm. And so not suffering from chronic illness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hot. Love it. dark. Yeah, they're all mentally and physically intact, <laughs> mainly. Hmm. Yeah. Hi, mom. <laughs> um, but that also it also makes us think about. Other stuff that goes into healthcare. So we talked about chronic illness and how that matters. Fantastic segue, Kate. Thank you. But the reality is it's also not just about treating disease because disease doesn't exist in a vacuum. Disease is fed by conditions of existence. And Haviva's going to tell us a bit about this and the like fancy term for it is the social determinants of health. Yeah, so I mean, I guess a lot of the conversation when we talk about healthcare is focused on that, is focused on the healthcare system. Um, but I think, I mean, the conversation's changing for sure. And like the social determinants of health is becoming like a more broadly used term. You'll see mm. it in news articles. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is that the mass majority of people who experience like poor health outcomes, people disproportionately experience poor health outcomes. Not necessarily because of the quality of the healthcare system, but like because of the quality of their lives and their access and mm. the social determinants of health. So social determinants of health like is a super broad term, right? Mm-hmm. So some people focus like specifically only on race inequity or gender inequity or income inequality. There's a million different sort of social determinants or different identities which mm-hmm. largely determine some of your health outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so it's not to say that it's not important to talk about the healthcare system, right? Like, yeah. we need a healthcare system that does, like you said, Kate, reflect the needs of the population and the changing mm-hmm. needs of the population. Um, but I think another thing to think about, and one that the Ford government doesn't really talk about a whole lot, <laughs> is really addressing the underlying issues that cause people to get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So, like, housing. Yeah, housing insecurity, housing un- unaffordability, lack of access to clean drinking water, mm-hmm. income inequality, lack of access to education. Like, these are all things that have a huge predictive factor in determining your health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Well, think if you think about, like, um, uh, this is, like, a small example, but uh, I think a lot of um, our listeners will probably relate to. Think about, um, like, the studies you have seen referenced in the news about stress on your life. People who don't make a lot of money are really stressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a small example. Like, what you a really stark one is um, access to clean drinking water, which right. our remote and northern communities right. are extremely, uh, uh, um, like, Especially suffering from. indigenous communities. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... You know, like, if you are thinking about yourself for a second, like, if you're... Centralize this problem on who matters. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Me. Me. No, but, like, but if you're... but, But, you know, if you think for a second that, like you know, you are not affected by the social determinants of health, mm-hmm. you absolutely are. Mm-hmm. Or someone you know is, right? Totally. Like if mm-hmm. you like if if you even just like think about it like with the example of stress. I mean like or, if you're a student and you're or really if you can't afford proper winter boots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a student and you're worried about like whether or not your OSAP is gonna continue, Mm-mm-mm. this it, this affects you. Yeah. Like shout out to the uh ten percent tuition cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, yeah we know that like that stress and and income inequality and like um, precarious work and precarious housing, 
like one, those things in and of itself are likely predictors of having poor health outcomes, mm-hmm. but it causes a lot of stress. And we know that there are like biological processes that result in our bodies as a result of having stress that make us more prone to disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all connected is what you're trying to say. I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> one bad thing leads to another. Well, it's it's to say that you can't focus on reforming the healthcare system and expect to see drastic changes in outcome if mm. you're not looking at the underlying causes mm. of disease and if you're not looking at like the distributional effects. So like even let's say like we take we take an issue like diabetes, right? Mm. And, like, diabetes affects affects a lot of people in Canada. Mm -hmm. But it will disproportionately affect people of low income. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of different social reasons for that, right? It Mm -hmm. It could be access to healthy foods or access to, like, activity programs. Like, there are a whole bunch of different sort of, like, factors that lead you on the way that make you more prone Mm -hmm. to developing diabetes. Yeah. Right? Or being at high risk to developing diabetes. So... These are the things that we really need to consider in terms of, like, really changing the distribution of disease across Mm -hmm. the population. Mm -hmm. And that kind of um, approach, that kind of holistic approach to health, um, uh, Kate and I have talked about on other episodes before, not just about health, but about, like, education, Mm -hmm. for example, um, which largely points to a, like, um, basically, sorry, it largely points to this... uh, income inequality problem or access equality problem or just equity problem generally where if you if you are an indigenous person if you're a person of color if you don't make a lot of money or if you live in a a remote community you are fundamentally going to not have the same access or benefits or privileges that um the rest of the population does because of your because of your income or position or, or mm-hmm. geographical position. Yeah, I agree, but it's not a privilege; it's a right, and everyone should have the same access to it. Absolutely. Sorry, yeah. I, I, maybe the language was um, mm-hmm. off, but we. But no, I. The, yeah, I we were just talking about like this holistic uh, in talking about this holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not. It's not just about like. Haviva says, like, increasing the amount of schools mm-hmm. or increasing the yeah. amount of hospitals or increasing the amount of beds. Mm-hmm. For example, like, I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about how uh, uh, a, um, like a huge percentage of emergency room visits are about dental emergencies mm-hmm. that people don't deal with, like, early on because they can't afford to go to the dentist. Yeah. And that, like, plugs up hospitals. Like, that's one thing that, like, makes hospitals super overcrowded. And then we have these, like, this, like, hall room, like hallway medicine thing Right, and, and poor oral health also makes you more susceptible to other infections and yeah. other diseases. So, yeah, it's really kind of like a revolving door mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other problem, too, is that the... Being able to fix all this requires a solution that is kind of apolitical because these problems don't get solved in a four-year cycle. Mm -hmm. And it's not as fun to say, um, oh, I'm slowly and systemically changing things by instituting holistic policy. Um, I mean, it sounds kind of okay, but it sounds way better to say, oh, I built 800 schools and did this, this, and this, and Mm -hmm. whatever, that you can kind of put a check mark beside. Because this is not a short-term process. Mm -hmm. It's a complete restructuring of well, basically society. Yeah, Although interestingly, the, uh, like if you uh, slowly and sy- slowly and systemically do not have to be um, 
linked. Mm. Like if you change this a system, yeah, that, that's, you, you that's can a really good point. Yeah, do a, right. like a radical overhaul yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, mm. you don't have to make these small incremental changes. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to change the system slowly. Mm-hmm. You could like you know, but but the the outcomes will be slow yeah. because you cannot immediately just shift. The people who already have chronic illnesses out of chronic illness. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. actually that's, that, what I mean, that's yeah. a is especially important mm-hmm. example. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you want you want policies to be preventative as well. Yeah. Right. Not just responding yeah. to the needs of people. And I think I think we're sort of talking about two different issues, but like still addressed in the same area. So like one is about reforming the healthcare system to. Uh, to Meet accommodate like yeah like mm-hmm. changing demography right yeah. like we, we have an aging population we know that. I think the other issue that we're largely talking about, especially in the social determinants of health, is talking about people who are not served equitably within the system already. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So mm. there's... There's two different there's issues. There's sort of two different issues yeah. there, right? Yeah. And because not... I mean, like, you could be a, a baby boomer and, like, be affected by the social determinants of health, but you also just might be old and, mm-hmm. like, right. ha- have, like, have had, like, a quote-unquote good... Uh, like a good healthy life you know what I mean like you might not I mean like everyone I guess is affected by that in some good or bad way right but you know what I mean yeah I mean your social position and social standing in society like largely determines the trajectory of your health and that Mm -hmm. is very concerning Mm -hmm. so I think this is a good segue to uh our, our solutions mm. or, or, or uh, we know all the solutions uh, uh, someone listen to us and yeah. like make us write policy mm-hmm. no but but we have a, a few I guess um, ideas or we have a few suggestions that don't come from us personally but a few ideas of how to address some of these problems yeah a couple years ago um, Queens put out a really comprehensive overview of some of the issues with the current system now they don't address as much the social determinants of health um, so this, their solutions mainly look at what we have right now and shifting that into a better model. Mm-hmm. Um, because the other stuff is more social policy, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that coincides with health rather than healthcare policy directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so this speaks to, like, cut and dry medical shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have four main recommendations. The first one is integration and innovation, which sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, all of these sound. I know they have really have good they have good headings. Um, I love innovation. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, it means bringing together all these disparate syst- or systems and places of care, so the patient wherever they go is given the same treatment, and so like you don't go to a hospital in Ontario um, and get a certain thing done to you like you don't get your appendix out in Ontario and then go to Quebec and they don't realize that you had your appendix out and do some other weird shit. Right. It's making sure that everything works together in a holistic and functional way. Yeah and I think like the aspect of social care here is really interesting because I know that they don't really particularly get into the social determinants mm-hmm. of health in this in this article but like integration of care is really important because if you look for example like let's say like a person is experiencing like housing insecurity Mm -hmm. and they're also suffering from a mental health problem like and potentially addiction so let's Mm -hmm. say like they end up in hospital well if they end up in hospital and they're not connected to like any resources that could help them with housing or addiction services that's a failure in our healthcare system Mm -hmm. that we don't provide opportunities for people to address like the underlying issues the underlying causes Mm -hmm. of disease so in a way they they are yeah, so like they're like, mm-hmm. extremely woven. Uh, the the two issues that we just 
Yeah. Well, they should be interwoven, but they're not. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have, like, a ministry of, like, health in most provinces, and then we also have, like, a A ministry of, like, yeah, or, like, or, like, social development. Yeah. And they're not necessarily working together, or, like, a ministry of, like, housing and homelessness, and they're not necessarily working together, and that's a huge problem, Mm. because a person, let's say, like, you're in a really bad situation, and you need assistance, well, like, if you don't have housing, then you probably don't have a job, Mm -hmm. and if you don't have housing, and you don't have a job, then your health is likely to be at stake, so if you all of a sudden have to go to, like, at least three different places to get yourself back on your feet, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a lot of administrative burden on an individual person who's already in a tough time. Mm -hmm. So, like, we should really be focusing on integration of services to really, like, provide for people. It's, like, not just about thinking about a patient, but thinking about the person. Mm -hmm. Wow, you really made integration, like, huge. Just, I I, I was like, innovation sounds good. I don't know what the fuck integration is. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Viva. All right, Uh, what's next, Kate? The second one is enhanced accountability. This um, basically means that... Let's hang the people who don't give (laughs) us good health care. Yeah, basically it kind of goes back to what Aviva was just saying about transitioning away from models that focus on outcome rather than output. Right. So quality and effectiveness should be rewarded rather than the amount of service provided. So, yeah. And then number three is to broaden the definition of comprehensiveness. So this is really important. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Asterisks. About all those asterisks, yeah. It's a hard word to say. I know, I know is it asterisks or asterisks? Asterisks. I say it with a, just as if there's no K, like just a C. Asterisks. I say it as if there's an X at the end. Asterisks. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the I, best way to think about it, like there's an X. But I think it's asterisk. Asterisk. Anyway. anyway whatever. <laughs> um, Sorry. Fantastic. Basically, this is asking why the fuck does our universal quote-unquote healthcare system limit its coverage in such a meaningful way? Mm-mm. So better integration of, of health and social services would also serve to address more effectively the social determinants of health, like mm-hmm. we said. And then their fourth one is like kind of random. They say bold leadership. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Um, we need some weak leadership to get I need a weak leader. Yeah. Um, no, basically we need someone who's gonna like we need Nocasio Cortez. Wow. Mm-hmm. We just basically need someone to actually bite the bullet and make meaningful change. Someone with a bold vision. Like someone like yeah. who is committed to uh overhaul uh, not a radical but like necessarily no, but like something radical, yeah. like something that is uh very different mm-hmm. than what we've had now uh, yeah. or, or, or so far because it's obviously not, not working, working what yeah. we're having so far. Yeah. I think like one of the challenges that Canada faces and a lot of like federalist countries face is that it's really hard to have like a national overhaul when healthcare is largely determined by individual provinces, mm-hmm. right? Like provinces yeah. have different ways of delivering the healthcare system. And it makes it tough. Coordination, like coordination between ministries in a single province is difficult. So think about like nationwide coordination of healthcare systems or yeah, education yeah. systems. It doesn't mean that it's impossible. Yeah. But there has to be like a very concerted effort in order to actually follow that through. I think the reason why it's, like, distributed that way is because Canada is such a big geographically... Geographically, it's so large, but our population is so small... ...that we could totally... (laughs) I feel like... I mean, you're the public policy person, but I feel like that is totally, like, uh, an accessible thing, like, that we could could amalgamate it under, uh, like, federally and have... 
most of these health things determined by the federal government. I feel like... I mean, you've got to do a province-by-province, like, specific... You know, some different communities in some provinces have a different thing. Yeah, it's tricky because, like... It kind of, if you take like the LINs, for example, there's real benefits to having like regional health authorities in Mm -hmm. that they can respond to the distinct needs of the region that they're serving. And that's like in Canada, like the the healthcare needs and just like the needs of the general population in BC is different than it is in New Brunswick. Right. 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 In terms of a whole wide range of things, like the issues that they're facing, the accessibility issues that they're facing, they're different. So like, I think that there can be better coordination and also, like, agreed-upon standards that you want to mm-hmm. deliver. But s- I still think that there is importance in, like, the provinces delivering health care. Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah, to not have it so centralized mm-hmm. that yeah. they are all of a sudden not in touch with, like, the needs of the community. I, I, but, maybe, that, yeah. but maybe an increased amount of centralization that is not there right now. Right, or basically, like, maybe just expanding the mandate of the cha. So the cha. The cha. The cha. just like if if you included universal pharmacare, universal universal dental care, and mm. the provinces could still handle that as they saw necessary. Right. Um, but the other problem with the provincially doing it is that it changes every four years. If yeah. governments right. come in and out. So like imagine how different our healthcare system in Ontario would be right now if it was a win government. I mean it does like, we'd have free pharma and free dental. Right. Oh, wait, or, no. Would that be NDP? I fucking same, forget. Same. But but both of them okay. had free had had that. So wait, but not not free pharma under when right? Win. It was just OHIP plus for yeah. her. Uh, if we had yeah, but they had the, but if you actually looked at the NDP promise, it was uh, fewer drugs covered by the NDP promise. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, it'd be very different. It, it does shift, either way. It does shift every four years, yeah. which makes it so much harder to have a systemic overhaul when every four years is being swapped in and out. But I'm, I mean, you would have that. Uh, federally too, right? Like it, yeah, if every mm-hmm. four years. But, but I think federally, it be, it's you can't really, you can't really touch the Canadian Health Act. Like I, it doesn't seem to me to be as like politically viable. But to then, shift then it. you have, and then you also have like if you have it provincially every four years, there's like more marbles to like keep track mm-hmm. of. Oh, all the provinces are changing. Yeah. Whereas like if you have one like like document yeah. from which to I think work it, from. I think it might also be constitutional. The Canadian Health Act. I feel like it's not changeable. Well, like I don't the, know if that's true. But. I mean, like the fact that health is governed by the provinces is in the constitution, mm-hmm. right? So, like that's that. Thank, that, thank God. Yeah, for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the distribution yeah. of power. Right. Yeah. I, one thing that I'm sort of like interested in and excited by is so like Eric Hoskins was the MP who was like really in charge of like OHIP plus, right? Mm-hmm. He MPP. Was the, yeah. yeah. And um, he was, like, poached by the Trudeau government Mm -hmm. to talk about, to, like, basically, like, chair on a committee talking about potential plans for... Universal pharmacare. Yeah, like a national Mm -hmm. pharmacare program. Yeah. I mean... I mean, you'd get your drugs for free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like, there are so many different ways to actually, like, implement, like, a universal pharmacare system. Like, Mm -hmm. countries that have universal pharmacare have drastically different systems and ways of delivering that. Mm Um. But I feel like it would be particularly interesting because, like, you'd have to get the provinces on board. Mm-hmm. So, like, that that's the issue, right? Is, like, every time you do have this, like, national-level initiative, mm-hmm. it still requires you to get the provinces on board. And it's, mm-hmm. like... It, it, and right now you have people like Ford and what's that fucking rad wall? Yeah. Like, you're not going right. to... Those, those people are not going to sign on for that shit. Yeah, so for the people who are... So for us, everyday people who live in provinces or territories, 
Um, What's a territory? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, what can we actually do to change or explain that we would like change yeah. to our leaders? Yeah. Because um, that's our well, that's our only main tool. Yeah. Our only main tool. That's our only tool. A podcast. Everyone start a podcast, a podcast now. Yeah. Um, do you have an answer? No, fuck, I don't have an answer. The only answer is to be vocal about what you want to see change. Scream in the street. (laughs) Yeah, well, to be politically active. Mm -hmm. Go to rallies. Go to vote. 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 Register. Call your people. Uh, Call your MP. Call your MPP. Like the thing is, healthcare is very intimate and very personal. Like yeah, the totally. story about this guy who quit because his son has autism or whatever. Yeah, um, it transcends politics. Well, that illustrates how profoundly touching healthcare can be. Mm-hmm. So. That's so true. And it, I think it becomes like yeah, a very a he- heated issue a lot mm-hmm. of the time because it is so personal. Because yeah. somebody does have a mother or a brother or a sister who's mm-hmm. had X, Y, or Z experience in the healthcare system, mm-hmm. and we all have, I think often very opinionated views of what's wrong with the system Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not a whole lot of solutions and that's I mean that's understandable because it is such a complex system and like the issues with the healthcare system are complex but it becomes like very I don't want to say polarizing because it's like not even like that Mm -hmm. there's so many different yeah so one thing that I um I feel like I keep getting to with a lot of these issues where uh, is that um, after a certain point, no matter what the issue is, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, we're like, what are the solutions? Like, and, and where, and like, what are the implications of that or whatever? And then I always get to this point where it's like what we want to see ideally, like when I talk to a, another young person, requires a systemic change, mm-hmm. like an economic systemic change. Well, you have to wonder, what is it, why are all these problems still persisting if we have a government that's supposed to be working for us? Yeah. Like, what is the common ground here? It's not the issue, it's the government. Yeah. Broadly speaking. So Right. Yeah. I mean, the government... And the and the economic system that it well, that's fundamentally what I mean. the structure that yeah controls our no lives. yeah no exactly We're talking but, about like, capitalism <laughs> <laughs> capitalism let's rethink it actually though but you know what I mean like I, I like I, I feel like I get to a point where I'm like w- what we'd like to see is these uh, is this X Y Z thing but in so many scenarios those things are not implementable mm-hmm. under capitalism because of the like constraints on. On, like that, those the fundamental constraints on that economic system. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like fixing the social determinants of health. The social determinants of health, like, are fundamentally determined by your economic status. 100%. So, so like, if you're um, going to like address them, you literally need a systemic overhaul. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you can't have income inequity and health equity. There's mm-hmm. just not that does not so a thing. I feel, I feel like I you know we like with our education episode, like and 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 like almost every other issue we've talked about. I like I, I feel like we always get to this point where mm-hmm. it's just like, well, well, there's no more discussion we can have on yeah. that. Uh, it, it, I mean, like we, are we, we can routinely fuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which m- does make some of. Um, uh, sometimes it feels futile because you're just like, oh my god, like when are, like, is this ever going to happen? Mm-hmm. But I have to say, the um, the Ocasio the Ocasio Cortez stuff, um, the fact that uh, uh, Finland, I think, just finished their universal basic inca- income pilot for the, or was it Sweden? I think it's Sweden. Sweden, 
one year universal basic income surprise surprise um quality of life went up um like you know like fuck you doug ford <laughs> just anyway uh, there are things there i think there are Oh, God. There are brief lights in the distance. Yeah. But um, very we... dim and very far. Yeah, but like, I need to talk about something I'm excited about that mm-hmm. could change. Wait. What could change? I don't know. I mean, I'm potentially excited about this pharmacare thing, but it's not yeah. going to be implemented before the election. And if the government, I mean, like, if the liberals are not reelected, then mm. it's not going to happen. Do you guys do you guys want to know about the uh, results from the basic income uh, experiment? In, Absolutely, I do. In Finland. Oh shit! Sorry. It's okay. I, I think they did it in Sweden too. Maybe. So um, stress down, health thing. up, unemployment or sorry, employment unchanged. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't it didn't affect the jobs. I know that's what everyone's worried about <laughs> in this, these capitalist systems. People are not going to be incentivized to work. <laughs> They're all lazy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there are gl- glimmers of hope, as Kate said, out there. Um, so you and know, desperation. Yeah, um, mostly desperation. Mostly desperation. We're feeling How, like it's so profoundly sad that like all hope is on this like twenty nine year old congresswoman who literally hasn't has been in office for like thirty seconds and has done actually nothing. Like I'm not saying it's bad. I'm I mean, just she saying, got right to work. Yeah, I, uh, no, cool. I'm not bashing her. I'm just saying it's a reflection of how pathetically desperate we are. There's literally one person, mm-hmm. only one. She person. got a team. She got people a team. Like oh, she got a team of people behind her though. Of, yeah, of yeah. Other, like, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, but she's the oh, only example. She's the face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I know. I hear you. Okay. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, 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 no. This. No, I. I mean, the the last thing I was just gonna say is that. Yeah, I feel like, especially, like, people who are involved in in public health and the social determinants of health are often really discouraged by their interactions with policymakers because Mm. there is so much academic work, so much academic research, so much information out there. Like, we're almost oversaturated with Mm, why people get sick mm-hmm. yeah. and we know it we know like yeah. we we truly know and and st- continue to do nothing exactly about it. like we're just mm. like policymakers are sorry academics are often you know hit with a lot of resistance from policymakers like that's not politically viable or mm-hmm. like that doesn't align with our ideology right or x y or z and it's like here's the data here's the facts in your face yeah and, and yet nothing. And it gets shit on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think when you look at, like, the momentum behind people like Bernie Sanders in 2016, that was the only reason, like, he didn't get uh, into the Demo- uh, 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 mm-hmm. nominated as, Dem- as the Democratic candidate was because of, like, a systemic superdelegate problem or people that, like, swooped in and, like, fundamentally over overrode Overrid, over, yeah, overrode the popular decision in the Democratic Party. So there is a lot of voices screaming this at the top of their lungs, and eventually they, the many, will overpower the few. Oh yeah, okay, let's really, end on that. That's note. a great that's note to good. end on. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, uh, so uh, we want to know what you think. Please reach out to us. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, last week, I got like a bunch of tweets from people who were saying that they were happy to see us back or that they were new listeners. It was truly heartening, and um, we want you to tell us when you hear something that you think is good or bad or or you want to n- talk about something next. So hit us up. We're on Twitter at undecided underscore pod. We're at Instagram on at 
Undecided Podcast and at on Facebook at slash Undecided Pod. Um, I'm Tara. I'm Kate. And I'm Haviva. Yes. And <laughs> oh, we're here beside my bed uh, in my closet uh, talking to you. And we're going to go drink some more and eat some more now. <laughs> okay. Thanks night for night having me, guys. Bye. Bye. It was a little bit shocking for some to learn that I had when I was younger uh, consumed marijuana. Thank you.